0: All right. Good evening, everyone. I'm excited to be here with you all on Tuesday night. Um, We are halfway through our study, so that's exciting. We are on uh, week five tonight. We are looking at um, chapter 20 through 24, and this is titled The Book of the Covenant. So I'm going to just start off by saying when we're doing Bible study, um, sometimes it's just really important to remember that the Bible is absolutely written for us, but it's not always written directly to us. So I thought that that was really relevant in this week's study um, and just a good way to start off. In chapter 21.1, it says, now these are the rules that you shall set before them. And the word rules that starts off this section in Hebrew um, is mishpat, and I probably butchered that, so I didn't look up how to pronounce that. But basically, it reflects a case decision. So it re Um, it required a precedent. So a lot of these commentators call them case laws. Um, So when we're studying and we're looking at a passage of um, the Bible like this, we can sort of ask ourselves, is this descriptive or prescriptive? Is it describing something or is it prescribing something? And in this case, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, These were written to the people of Israel. So we can kind of um, gather that this is a descriptive text. It's not prescribing words that um, we should live by. Not saying we can't get anything out of it, but just wanted to make sure that it's written to the people of Israel. And these laws kind of bridge the Ten Commandments, which we learned about before, and the real-life, everyday experiences of the Israelite people. So it's sort of like... Taking that big overarching picture and zooming it into a specific people and place and time. So last week, um, Jess wrapped up the Ten Commandments. Thanks, Jess. And then God displayed his power with thunder and lightning and a sound of a trumpet and mountain smoking. And the people were afraid and stood off. And I think, honestly, that probably would have been my re- reaction as well. But Moses reassured them not to be afraid. That they should have the fear of the Lord, but that fear of the Lord was um, to hold a reverence for God and to help them to not sin against Him. So there's a lot to cover in this section, and I'm going to attempt to go through kind of three different sections. The one is the case laws, the next is the conquest of Canaan, um, which was promised, and then the last one, which is the covenant confirmed. So the first section of laws that we get. laws about the altars. So they're specific to the altars um, about how God wanted his people to worship. And God reiterated not creating images out of silver or gold and not using tools to profane the altar. So he's sort of emphasizing that the altar isn't really about the altar, but more about the worship of the true God. And these laws refer back um, to the first two commandments And They also differentiate the Israelites from that Canaanite culture around them. There's two kinds of offerings that are dealt with. We have burnt offerings and peace offerings. The burnt offerings um, really dealt with the forgiveness of sins and restoring the relationship with God, whereas the peace offerings were um, praising God and thanking Him and also included the fellowship of the people. With um, usually a communal meal. These are described further in Leviticus if you want to learn more about them, but the reason I brought them up is because we see that at the end of this section. All right, and also in thinking about the laws, we can sort, we can get a deeper understanding of Jesus. We can see that God didn't want the Israelites to craft something of their own hands. He didn't want, anything to pollute the altar, and it can remind us of how, um, just how Jesus is that perfect fulfillment of the law, that there's really nothing that we can do, um, that Jesus did everything for us. And the last part, we get that really interesting passage about um, nakedness at the altar, So it sounds odd to our modern ears, but considering that the ancient religions had um, bizarre practices, (laughs) um, God didn't want to profane the altar, and he he really wanted the Israelites um, to worship him in a right way. He didn't want it polluted with any of that pagan practice. The next section was laws about slaves, and this was chapter 21 through um, one through thirty. So this start. This was tough to tackle reading the word slave um, in the Bible, but it's important that um, to understand that the slaves in this section were different than what we think of slavery as today. So at this time, an Israelite could sell themselves into servanthood, and likely this was due to um, extreme poverty or debt. So if you think they had an agricultural culture. So if they had a season of, you know, just bad crops or their animals weren't doing well, um, they would be in a really tough situation. So they could then sell themselves into servanthood. The rules were that they could only stay for six years. and the seventh year, they were set free with no strings attached. If a man came in single, he could leave single. If he came in married, he could leave married. Um, There was a Interesting passage about if the master gave the man a wife, and he had children, then um, the wife and children belong to the master. And as I was thinking through this, I really thought it was sort of a protection for the women and children in that state, because if a person was in a really hard place before they came into that servanthood, it might be really difficult for them to get back on their feet. This was tough stuff to dive into and to read about. So if you're interested, I'd be happy to talk more about it afterwards, or you can look up more information later. Um, But I just think it's important to understand that it's very different than our modern idea of slavery. The rules for a female servant were a bit different, and um, a father could choose to sell his daughter into servanthood. And this was a time where arranged marriages were the norm. So um, the rules were that, you know, she could be sold to be someone's spouse. She could be sold to be um, his sons or sold to a master and then become the son's spouse. Or he could um, take multiple wives. Now, this is not God condoning these things, rather speaking about what was happening in the culture and how the people can live under the commandments, within the culture that they were in. Um, Let's see. We have the thing, if the, so either, when women were sold into that role, they were supposed to be treated well, and they were not supposed to be treated poorly. So if the man, um, you know, designated her for a son, she was to be treated like a daughter. If she was designated as a wife, then she was to be treated as a wife, not less than. And this was a basic way of, financial security. Um, and we see later down the line where in the book of Ruth um, that kinsman did redeemer role was really important for someone who otherwise had very limited options. So while the laws were different for women and men, they still had a right to be treated well. Um, and if you think about today, we still have poor and poverty that exists um, throughout the world. There are pockets of people that just have less economic opportunities and we're called as a church to support them, to help them. Ephesians says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with someone in need. So while we're so far removed from this original context, I think that there's some things that we can take away from it. All right. The next section, laws about personal injury. We know that murder was outlawed already back in Genesis, but we didn't really exactly know what to do with the person convicted of murder. So this is where we learn about the rule of the death penalty. Um, And we have that applied in several different cases. So striking a parent, kidnapping, cursing a parent all have that harsh punishment. We can see that parents are held in very high regard and we are given the terms father and mother. So again, we know that um, women are held in high regard in this situation. Um, Let's see, cursing a parent, I thought that seemed like a really harsh punishment, but this form of cursing was sort of wishing um, the Lord to curse them. So it was sort of taking God and trying to use him against that family structure, um, which he had designed to create order and peace. There are a series of events about um, assault and compensation. So if a person assaults someone, they need to cover their medical expenses and their loss of time of work. And then we have the very fun passage, (laughs) Um, chapter 21, 22 through 23, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her child come out but there is not harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So this is a specific scenario where a woman, a pregnant woman, was likely injured and um, between probably her husband's dispute, and if the child... In the womb, died as a result, and that life penalty should be paid as well. So we see the value God places for a child while still in the mother's womb in that section. And then this next part with the whole eye for an eye. This is not God condoning violence. Again, it kind of goes back to that question: Is it prescriptive or descriptive? My pages are stuck together. <laughs> So this could be um, a case that we brought before the judges of the time, and the judges would use these laws to determine what a fair punishment would be. So um, oftentimes it could be a monetary compensation in these cases, but um, basically the judges would use the law to determine how to handle specific scenarios. Um, If there was a serious injury to a slave, then that slave should be set free. Um, people were responsible for their animals. So an owner had to respect, accept responsibility of um, their animal, animal. If they knew it was vicious, then um, they had to be willing to accept whatever the penalty for that situation. All right, the next section, we have chapter 21, 33 through 22. Um, If someone uncovered a well and an animal fell into it, they had to pay for the price of the animal. Um, If an animal kills another animal and nobody's at fault, then um, there's no fault due. Um, If someone steals an ox or sheep, they had to pay more than what it's worth. And um, this was a way not only to compensate for the loss, but also to deter that from occurring in the first place. We have the passage if a thief breaks in in the night, they could be killed, and then but during the day, um, they wouldn't have or they shouldn't kill the person, and that was because you couldn't see the person at night. So a lot of these were kind of logical, I think, but I like that God's crystal clear in um, in putting these specific scenarios together. All right, there was a section about um, people holding assets, so I think it's important to remember there was no bank on the corner of the street. So if you were going away to travel, or if you needed safe protection for something, you might have it with somebody else in the neighborhood, and that person was supposed to um, take care of those things. Now, accidents happened, but in general, if, um, you know, if that person was caught stealing those items or doing something that they shouldn't be doing, then they, um, they had to pay for it. And this is where the not bearing false witness kind of comes into play because a lot of this was sworn under oath. So some of these crimes had really strict punishments. And if someone were to be a false witness, then that person that they were um, speaking against would face a really harsh punishment. All right. If something was borrowed, item Um, If something happened to the borrowed item, then the person needed to pay for it or make it good. If something was hired, meaning someone bought something from someone else and they messed it up, then they didn't necessarily have to... um, make it good because they had already paid for the item. So I was thinking, like, if I brought my friend's dress to wear to a wedding and I spilled food all over it, um, I should probably buy her a new one. But if I say, hey, can I have your old dress for $20? And then I spilled food all over it, the dress would be then mine. That was my modern-day application for that one. Um, So next we move into the laws about justice within the community. We have the first one where if a man seduced a virgin, he was responsible for paying the bride price. Um, So this is different from what I could tell from the case of rape, which is outlined later in the Bible. This is more talking about consensual sex. Um, But still, the man would be responsible for paying for her. um, Unless her father found him unsuitable, he was still responsible for that payment. Um, But the father could also deny him the right to marry her. There's a law against witchcraft, which had the death penalty, Um, several others, the lying with the beast and sacrificing to other gods, and I think these are specified because they were practices of the time, Um, and God wanted to be very clear about not engaging in that Canaanite worship. We get the section about um, not abusing or oppressing widows, orphans, or sojourners, and um, any cases that were like this would go before judges, so they could determine how to um, how to handle them. There was a section about offering our first, the firstborn, the first, um, sorry, the firstborn son, the cattle, and the produce, and the offering of the firstborn son. From what I gathered, was really a payment offering that would be made for that child. Um, and then the other ones were the actual items. All right, so now we have a loss about the status. So every seventh year the land was to rest, sorry, back it up, every six days we're working and the seventh day was rest. And then same thing for the land, it was six years of working the land and the seventh year was supposed to be a year of rest for the land. Um, I heard on the radio literally yesterday that the dust bowl could have prevented had we followed this, um, command. So I think that God, um, he's really trying to care for both the people and the land, Um, and then they had the three feasts, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the Harvest, and the Feast of the Ingathering. And these were to celebrate both being thankful for what God was, has already done, and then entrusting him for what he will do in the future. So by feasting, they're consuming a lot of the things that they were given. So they're trusting him that he's gonna provide again for them in that next season. All right, that's a lengthy bit all about the law. <laughs> um, we're gonna transition to the conquest of Canaan which is um, 2320 through 33. So God promises to send them an angel and to lead them into a place that he has prepared. He tells them not to disobey the angel because if they don't, then he won't pardon their transgressions. Um, my Bible also says my name is in him. So this, could this be an Old Testament reference to Jesus? He was going to guard them and protect them, and he was, God is going to take them into, that Canaan, into the Canaanite nations and destroy their enemies. He doesn't exterminate them, and we know through that use of that word sojourner that there were still foreigners that lived among the Israelites, so it's more about driving out the um, Canaanite worship of the other gods and not saying that none of them could enter um, the Israelite community but he was getting rid of those false gods. And at that time, it was common practice for conquerors to take the idols of other nations, and God's forbidding them from doing this. He doesn't want them to honor the enemy gods at all. He says that he will bless them with food and water and take away sickness, and then he'll give them a double blessing of both fertility and preserving their life. He's going to make their enemies be afraid of them before they go. And it says he would send hornets um, to the nation. Now, this could have been literal or it could have been figurative and meaning that um, he would send like a sting to that nation. He would cause fear to come to them. Either way, it's God's supernatural presence that was traveling before the Israelites. And God said he was going to drive them out little by little until the Israelite nation could take over. So he um, I think it talks about, you know, if he were to just drive them out, then the wild beasts could have taken over the land, um, which would not have been great for the Israelite nation. So he gave them little by little and gave them time to grow and populate um, so that they could take care of the land. The final part is the covenant confirmed, and this is 24, one through 18. This is the ratification of the covenant. So God gave Moses instructions about going up to the Lord. He was to get Aaron and his two sons and the elders, um, but only Moses was the one to go to the most holy place. And Moses told the people all the laws that the Lord commanded. They, of course, agreed and said they will obey them, which we'll find out what happens later. Um, But he wrote all the laws in a book for them, and then he ratified it. So they built an altar and they had 12 pillars, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And then they offered those burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. So they used half of the blood to sprinkle on the altar and the other half of the blood was sprinkled on the people. And this blood was essential, um, was considered a life force. So the sprinkling of the blood was joining the two together. It's also a foreshadowing of Jesus and his blood being shed for us and atoning for us. So Moses, um, Aaron, and his two sons went up. And it sounds like there was three kind of sets of people. So you had like the whole congregation of Israel. You had um, Moses, Aaron, his sons, and elders. And then um, eventually just Moses goes on. So when Moses and Aaron and his sons and the elders went up, they saw God. So they physically saw him and that description i just thought was awesome and probably the words don't even do it justice um when moses went he had joshua went with him for a little bit and he left aaron and her in charge a cloud covered the mountain for six days and the seventh day god called moses up i'm thinking poor moses how many times does he go up and down this mountain um but not for him because he got to be with that Um, So when Moses went up, God gave Moses the laws on tablets of stone that he had written. And then the glory of the Lord looked like devouring devouring fire to those below. So I can't imagine what they're thinking when they see Moses up there. Um, And he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. So a couple takeaways from all of this. Um, As I was reading, one of the things that I think stood out to me was that God deserves right worship. The next thing that I saw was he had such oversight and care of the Israelite nation. He really ironed out details, um, and he just just was like a good father to the Israelites. And then the last one that stood out to me is just the perfection of Jesus, that Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the law. And that's it. I'll pray for us dear heavenly father thank you so much for your word thank you for this time that you give us to study your word god and truly really get to know you more lord i pray you'll be with um all that you the ladies this evening as they leave here um just protect them and be near with them in jesus name amen, amen.